Okay, I want to start off by being honest with you. I do my best to be as prepared as I can for these shiurim, but given everything that's going on, um, I was not able to finish preparing this shir. I began to prepare this shir this morning, and then um, a number of things happened. I went to Mebaseret a little bit earlier today than normal, and uh, I went because Rabbi Leo D. I assume you know who Rabbi Leo D is. Rabbi Leo D. spoke in Mebaseret this morning to the boys, so I went in a little bit early for that, and then I thought I was going to have the opportunity to prepare a little bit after that, and uh, as you'll soon see why, um, I was not able to prepare properly for this year because I got caught up doing something else. So while I do have what I feel is a meaningful shear prepared, normally you'll sometimes see I have papers in front of me. I don't have any papers in front of me. It's not because I don't know this stuff, but I have not prepared as well as I want to. Um, so please bear with me. If something doesn't come out exactly uh, fluid or understandable, I, I take full responsibility for that. It's my fault and not yours. But I will do my best to share this idea with you. And be mochel me if, uh, if it doesn't come out exactly right. The, the Torah begins, it's wild to think that we're once again in Parshas Bereshis. The Torah begins with psukim that every single person in this room is familiar with, but I'd like to review them and perhaps gain a significantly deeper understanding of what these psukim mean. So the Torah begins, Bereshis bar In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was abundantly chaotic, and it was total darkness. And the Spirit of God hovered above the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu separated between the light and the darkness. Now, most people just motor through these psukim. I think uh, the first pasuk in the Torah gets a lot of attention because it's that first Rashi and everybody has to give a speech on that first Rashi. But I imagine that some people at least don't pay attention to the psukim that come after that. And I'd like to try to explain these psukim, to the best of my ability, uh, in a limited way, um, but to, to try to see them deeper. So if we look at it, it says, okay, in the beginning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Shamayim Va'aretz. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us the condition of the land. What's the condition of the land? The condition of the land is It's abundantly chaotic, and it's, it's dark. That's the state of the land. The question is, what does that mean? What do those words mean? When you're a kid reading them, what do you think? You think, I don't know, maybe some primordial mass, darkness, swirling, chaos, right? The world hasn't yet been formed. But what do these things deeply mean? What do they mean to us on a level of something that we can make into a reality? What does that mean? And furthermore, what's this Ruach Elokim? We always read that, right? Ruach Elokim There was this godly spirit hovering over the water. Anyone know what Ruach Elokim means? Most of us don't know what Ruach Elokim means, so we just keep going. Yeah, there was Ruach Elokim Even that word Merachefes is a very strange word. It was hovering, right? What does it mean? It was hovering. Hovering is a funny lashon to use. So what does hovering mean? And then, 
somehow God says, let there be light, and there's light, and God looks at the light, and the light is good, and he separates between the light and the darkness. What's the inner essence of this story? So I want to share with you, I apologize again that I'm looking at my phone, just I didn't have time even to print out whatever notes I did take. Um, you shouldn't think it's because I'm looking at anything else. There is a, um, there is a Zohar HaKadosh and a Medrash to explain what the words Ruach Elokim mean. And both the Zohar HaKadosh and the Medrash say that Ruach Elokim is referring to Mashiach. In fact, Chazal bring that the gematria of Viruach Elokim Merachafes is the same gematria as Zehoyarucho Shalmelech HaMashiach. So this idea of Ruach Elokim is Mashiach. It's a very interesting thing, that Ruach Elokim is Mashiach. So it seems then, in a very strange way, something unexpected, that Mashiach is already present in the second Pasuk of the Torah. In other words, if you look at the Torah, what is it? God creates the heaven and the earth. What do we already find in the second Pasuk of the Torah? means Mashiach is hovering above the water. What is that imagery? We still have to understand. But there's something very powerful, very profound, very deep that needs to be unpacked and understood that Mashiach is already present in the very beginning of creation. Not only that, but we also find that the four exiles, the four Goliathim that Klal Yisrael will experience, are already in this psukim. When it says, V'haretz haisa, with me? Tau, vavo, v'choshech al tahom, so Chazal say that that refers, right, to Bavel, Madai, Yavan, and Galus Adom. Right, those four things, right? Right, those four things refer to the four exiles. And the last one, which is the exile of Edom that we're in right now, is called Tahom, because it's the deepest one, it's the one that feels never-ending. In fact, I think many of us can relate to that, that this Gullus feels never-ending. So we already have, in the very beginning of the Torah, in the second Pasuk of the Torah, HaKadosh Baruch who creates the world, and if you're learning the Torah in a deep way, what does the Torah teach us? Number one, there will be four exiles. Number two, there will be something called Melech HaMashiach. Why is that significant? What's the impact of understanding that the four exiles that Klal Yisrael will experience and Melech HaMashiach are already present in the very beginning of creation? I want to share with you something I think that's quite deep, quite meaningful. We ask the question... When is Mashiach coming? How many people here have asked that question? When is Mashiach coming? It's the wrong question. If you understand what we just learned, then you understand that that question is the wrong question. Mashiach has been coming since the moment the world was created. What is Ruach Elokim? Da Mashiach, that's Mashiach. Which means that the moment the world was created, Mashiach began to come. Mashiach already began the moment the world was created. The question is not when will Mashiach come. Mashiach has been coming since the moment that the world was created. What's the appropriate question? When will the process of Mashiach culminate? When will the process of Mashiach finally end? I want to share with you why this is so important. Two reasons. Number one, you have a lot of people that go, oh, that's Mashiach, right? Something good happens, they go, oh, that's Mashiach. Or if Chas something bad happens, they go, oh, that's Mashiach. 
For 6,000 years, a Jew has been saying about everything that happened, that's Mashiach. Because Mashiach is a process that's part and parcel of every single moment of creation. From the moment that the world was created, Mashiach has been coming. That's critical to understand. Stop asking the question, when will Mashiach come? He's been coming. The question is, when will the process of Mashiach culminate? When will we finally get to see this whole story finish? That's number one. Number two, and this is also of critical importance, Mashiach's coming has never been in doubt. It's like, imagine you went to a Disney movie, right? What's the one thing you know is going to happen by the end of the movie? There's going to be a good ending. They wouldn't make it a movie if it was a bad ending. Could you imagine what it would be like? I just thought about this. Could you imagine what it would be like if people were in the theater and it's like a terrible movie and then it just ends? You see all the little kids in the audience going, what? That's it? Like, No story ends as a bad story. When the Torah begins by telling us there's going to be four exiles and there's going to be Mashiach, Mashiach's coming from the moment that the world was created. What does that mean? It means we already know the end of the story. The question is not if Mashiach's going to come. The only question will be, what will your role be in bringing Mashiach? That's a huge difference. That means that you, the, we already know. We already know how the story ends. The only thing that's in doubt is what role will we play in bringing Mashiach? So far, so good. Everybody understands these concepts? Yeah? Okay. Unpacking this a little bit more, if you know that Mashiach is coming, and you know that the end is assured, the only question is when will Mashiach come, we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to bring Mashiach? What do those words mean? So let's return to the question that we asked about a couple of moments ago. V'ruach Elokim merachefes al The spirit of Hashem, the spirit of Mashiach, is hovering above the water. What is water, and what does it mean to hover above water? Water is formless. That's what water is. Water is a formless entity. The only reason that this cup, or these cups, are holding this water in this way is not because of the water. It's because of the cup. Water, by its definition, is a nothing, right? Does that make sense? Water, if you put it somewhere, it just goes wherever it goes, right? It doesn't have a shape to it, in contrast to everything else in this world that has a shape. Water has no particular shape. So the spirit of Mashiach, this Ruach Elokim, is hovering above the water. When we think about the image of hovering, what does that, what does that mean to us? I don't know what it means to you, but what it means to me is there's no place to land. You ever see, um, you ever see like, a, like a bird hovering over a flower, sucking at its nectar like a hummingbird or something like that? You ever see that? Why, why does the bird need to do that? Why does it need to flap its wings so hard to hover above the flower like that? It's because it can't land and get to the flower. So it seems the imagery that the Pasuk paints for us is that Mashiach is here, but he has no place to land. It's like Mashiach is in creation, but the goal is to bring Mashiach down into this formless, shapeless thing and to give it a space where it can land. That's what it means to bring Mashiach. Now that sounds like a very abstract thing, right? It sounds like a strange thing. But I want to share with you why it's not. The physical world is not an evil place. The physical world just needs to become a godly place, but it's not an evil place. 
We need to make this world a place where Mashiach can land. Because as it is, this physical world, it doesn't seem to project godliness. You could look at this table and you might not see God. So what a Jew has to do is has to make the table, this is going to sound like a funny thing, into a Mashiach table. The way that we make the table into a Mashiach table is by using the table in a godly way. I want to share with you why I'm late. Not late. I came on time. I want to share with you why I'm not as well prepared as I wanted to be. I go to Mivaseret. I hear Rabbi Leo D's speech. He speaks beautifully. It's an amazing speech. I go upstairs to my office. I'm about to close the door and sit at the computer and write up my notes. There's a knock on the door. Rosh Hashiva says, we need to talk. He steps in. He says, we have a meeting right now. Listen to this meeting. There is a Tzanchanim battalion. You know what Tzanchanim are? Paratroopers. There is a Tzanchanim battalion with, it's really comprised of four small battalions. It's one large battalion. Each battalion has 120 people in it. This battalion has 480 soldiers total. They don't have what they need. They don't have what they need. You know, when we call these people up, this, the, the Israeli army relies, this is a wild thing, the Israeli army relies on its citizens to provide for its soldiers in times of war. The way that one of the Rebbeim in Yeshiva said it, there's a Rebbe in Mavasar, I don't know if you've heard of him, you've heard of Rebben? Okay, some of you have heard of Rebben, he's an amazing Rebbe. Uh, I, I, by the way, for, for those that nodded, you gave yourselves away. For those that played it cool, you're very good. It's excellent, yeah? He said, very, he said very beautifully, he said, this is not a country, this is a, shet, this is a shtetl, it's a neighborhood. It's like, how do, the, how do the soldiers get things like washed and cleaned? Like, who gives them socks? We just give everybody what we have. It's an amazing thing. This is 480 soldiers, and they don't have what they need. Basic, basic, basic things. Why don't they have what they need? Because they got called up. They got called up. Yeah? And, they, and, and when they got called up, what did they have time to pack? They didn't think about what they were doing. They just shoved stuff in a, in a knapsack, and they went. In, I happens to be, I was in yeshiva for Simchas Torah. I was in Mavasar for Simchas Torah. And whatever happened, the, uh, the people who live in Mavasar started getting phone calls on, on Shabbos, on Simchas Torah. And they picked up their phone. And they put, on their, uh, they put on their uniforms. And they packed their bags. And they went in a car, and they drove. They drove to wherever they were supposed to go. Two of the Rebbeim in Mavasar, they got the call. One soldier came down to Mevaseret looking for the Av Bayit of Mevaseret. He said, where's Avichai? I said, Avichai's at home. He said, please go tell Avichai that he has to turn on his phone. So I went to Avichai's apartment. I said, Avichai, you have to turn on your phone. A couple minutes later, Avichai came to yeshiva. He's dressed in his, you know, in his combat fatigues. And then he drove off. You think these guys had time to pack? You think they had time to sit there and think about what they were going to need? They didn't have time. They didn't have time. It was Pesach. It was Pesach. It was less than Pesach. At least with Pesach, we had all the Makos leading up. This was out of the blue. It was totally unpredictable. So these guys put whatever they put in a bag, and they went. Now they don't necessarily have what they need. So we get a phone call. Can we raise money to buy these soldiers what they need? And not only to buy these soldiers what they need, but they're going to bring to Mevaseret, they're going to bring all the stuff that we bought, 
Somebody's going to go to the store, buy all the stuff. We're going to have to pack it for them, load it onto a truck, and it's going to be sent to this Tzanchanim battalion. In other words, they asked us, can you adopt this battalion as your own? No problem. No problem. One of the Rebbeim who's, uh, who's running this, he says to me, Mordechai, he gives me a number. The number is an astronomically large number. We're not talking about $10,000 or $20,000 or $30,000 or $40,000. An astronomically large number. That's what it's going to take to outfit this battalion. He says, Mordechai, I'm ready to put it on my credit card if you tell me that we're for sure going to hit this number. I said, Rebbe, I don't want to get fired. <laughs> he said, will you hit it? I said, we'll hit it. He said, are you sure? I said, Rebbe, we're going to hit the number. We're going to double and triple the number. He said, okay, on your say-so, I'm putting it on my credit card. And they went, and they started buying things. They started buying things. So the whole break, we're working like crazy. One of the Rebbeim in the office sets up the website for the donations. And we called in a team of the Talmidim, the 14 Talmidim in my tiny little office. Each Talmud is going to take a group of guys, and they're going to be in charge of those guys, and we're going to get on the phone, and we're going to make phone calls. We raised... $50,000 in under 20 minutes. We raised, as of me walking into this room, some of you saw that I was on my phone walking into this room. As of walking into this room, we started the campaign today at around 3.45. Walking into this room right now, we had over $170,000. Oh, you're also... Um, <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Oh it's, how much are you doing? Wow. I'm telling you, by the end of the night, at the end of the night, we're going to be over $200,000 for sure. Maybe we'll be over two fifty. It's an unbelievable thing. It's an unbelievable thing. These guys, we told the guys, we're like, the guys are like, can we get call lists? So, no, 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 ain't no call lists. There's no call. This is not a campaign that we're running for the yeshiva. I just want you to get on your phone, call people, send this link, just go. Just go. Just go. Do it. I told every guy in the yeshiva, I said, I don't want to see one guy right now with the safer open. There's a time, Daber el b'nei Yisrael there's a time for davening, there's a time for learning, there's a time for action. This is the time for action. These tzanchanim, they need us right now to get them the basic necessities that they don't have. I said, I don't want to see. Happens to be, there's one guy in yeshiva that got rid of his phone completely. So, he's, so he was learning in the base measures. So I, so I said to him, I said, I want you to know it's okay for you to learn. <laughs> if you have a phone, I want you on the phone. So one of the guys said to me, he goes, Rebbe, I feel like it's a little bit late. Like the, we've already been going for three days this war. Like I already feel like so many people are hit up. I said, Ain Kazadavar, I'm telling you, you're going to call, everyone's going to give. And that guy raised a lot of money. And what's the pshat? I'll tell you the pshat. The pshat is... Ask a Jew to stick his hand in his pocket and give to his brother, and you're going to see. It's a yoga move. It's a yoga move. It's a yoga move. And you're going to see. Klal Yisrael is just doing it over and over again. Uh, this campaign, that campaign. Rabbi, i got like 20 campaigns already. You know what? People are going to write $18 checks over and over and over and over again. You know what the average donation was this afternoon? I looked. I didn't have the opportunity to look what it was. It was $188 this afternoon. $188. Now, not everybody was giving that, but it factored out to $188. You know what that means? That means that today, in yeshiva, today in yeshiva, we made this world a little less shapeless than it was. 
We gave the world a tzura. We gave the world a structure. And the spirit of Mashiach can land in that structure. Mashiach wants to come. He has no place to land. He's like a bird hovering over the water. He says, I can't land here. It's not a place for me. Today, a dollar bill is not a dollar bill. It's, 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 you know, it used to be, I think it still is, in the dollar bills it says, in God we trust, right? It doesn't mean anything. It's just words on a piece of paper. In God we trust means nothing until you take that money and you use it for a godly thing. Every single guy that pulled out his phone today and that made those phone calls and put it on his WhatsApp status and sent it out to all his friends and his WhatsApp groups, every single one of those people, they made those dollars have an actual tzura. They gave them a form. They did something. It's a place where the Ruach Elohim can come now. That's why the Pasuk after it says, Ruach Elohim Mayim. And then what does it say next? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good. And then God said, I can separate. Once there's Mashiach in the world, there's light in the world. Now I can separate between light and darkness. I want to share with you something that's happening on the world right now. You'll forgive me if my thoughts are a little bit scatterbrained. I'm Amish all over the place. There's a tremendous amount of chaos in the world. You know, we, we stand up here, we rabbis, we stand up here and we talk. We talk. We talk about these very abstract things. Like, Sukkot is about vulnerability. Who here felt vulnerable on the first day of Sukkot? Nobody feels vulnerable. What do we feel? Ah, it's a little hot in the Sukkah. I don't know, I didn't have a place to go. It was weird. I had to go with my friend, her aunt, that I didn't really know it was uncomfortable. Right? What was the vulnerability of Sukkot? It was an idea. It was abstract, right? Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. When everything went wrong, the irony is that we were unprepared. Why were we unprepared for the vulnerability of Simchas Torah? Because we didn't pay attention to the vulnerability of Sukkot. If we would have really been paying attention to the vulnerability of Sukkot, then we would be prepared for the vulnerability of Simchas Torah. These are not abstract lessons, they're real things. When we speak about the idea of chaos, when we speak about the idea that this world is chaos, that's what tovavo means. It means chaos. When we speak about this world as darkness, that's not an abstract concept. And if you're, if you're not listening right now, if you're not listening right now, and I mean that in two ways, either because you're paying attention to something else, or because you're on your phone doing whatever and you think I can't see, or alternatively, because you're listening in the abstract, then you're missing the point of every single shear that you're getting in seminary. Every single shear. These are not concepts. These are not concepts. These are not ideas. They're not like just these random things. Like if you know them, they'll change you. They require focus and dedication. And when we come, when the Torah comes and it says, this world is a place of chaos. You girls right now have learned something unbelievable. The Torah wasn't lying. From the very moment the world was created, God creates the heavens and the earth. What's the next thing that we learn about the earth? The earth is chaos. The earth is darkness. That's the nature of this world. You look at this world, there's tragedy on every single level. There's tragedy on every single level. And along with the tragedy, along with the chaos of this world, there's something called Ruach Elohim. And the light is made of the darkness. I'm going to say it again because I want you to get this idea. Light is not made of light. Light is made of darkness. 
Darkness is not a thing that just by itself is darkness. Darkness is light. You have to make the darkness into the light. The light is made up of darkness. So when you look at what's happening in the world today, when you look at what Kuala Yisrael is doing today, when you see that we can raise $50,000 in 20 minutes, $50,000 in 20 minutes, you know how much light that is? You know what a change in the world was created today? And it's not just Mavasarit. I'm only saying Mavasarit because I was there and I saw with my own eyes. We hit $100,000. You could see the videos. $100,000, the guys went crazy. They were mosh pitting outside. It was wild. $100,000, it was crazy. We did $100,000 in under, in under 45 minutes. $100,000 under 45 minutes. It was crazy. What's the shot? Because a Jew knows, yeah, the world is chaos. But there's Ruach Elokim. God looks at the world and he says, let there be light. And there was light. And then God says, because now there's light in the world, because there's Mashiach in the world, I can separate between the light and the darkness. Because when we separate from a light, the light from the darkness, the Jew knows how to go to the darkness and to find the light. I want to share with you something that happened today. It was very hard for me. You know... We hear, we hear these numbers, 300,000 reserves, 300,000 Miluim, 300,000 reserve soldiers went to the front. 300,000 is an abstract. 300,000 is a number. Until you know somebody, until you know somebody, girls, you have to stop thinking about numbers, you have to start thinking about names. Names. Names of people that are doing. Names of people that are doing. I know Josh, well, I know Josh since he's a very little boy, but Josh was a counselor working for me in camp from the time that I was, I think, maybe 20 years old, 21 years old, something like that. Josh was a great counselor. I'll be honest, in the camp that I worked in, there were like a thousand kids. So there was a first grade division, you know, the first grade division, who do you, what type of counselors do you give the first grade boys? You give them like the nice, soft counselors, you know what I'm talking about? Like the boys come on the first day and they cry for their mommy. You don't want the macho, tough guy athlete with the first graders. You want that like soft, edelmadel type of guy who's going to be like, it's okay, come, I'm going to hold your hand and give you a juice cup. You know, like, you know that type of guy? He's like a nice guy, you know, and say so, like when you date him, you go like, you were probably the first grade counselor. You know that guy? Right? <laughs> Then you have second grade counselors. Second grade counselors, they don't have to be as sophisticated as the first grade counselors because by second grade they're already used to it. There's only the two kids that are still having a hard time. Right? So second grade counselors, still very, very nice guys. Third grade already, you can have like regular guys. But the hardest kids in camp are the fourth grade counselors, the fifth grade counselors, the sixth grade counselors, and especially the seventh grade counselors. Because by the, by the time they're in eighth grade, they're CITs. Seventh graders think they run the camp. You know, I remember how like, you thought at eighth grade you ran the school? Do you realize now that you didn't? Do you realize now that it was pathetic to even think that? <laughs> Seventh graders think they run the school. They think they run the camp. So I was in charge of the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade divisions. That was my, I was the division head for those four grades. First grade had its own division head. Second grade had its own division head. Third grade had its own division head. Fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. That was mine. Josh was a great counselor. First grade, he was with these kids. He loved these kids. I guarantee you he gave every kid a juice skip. I'm sure, I'm sure that he got 
tipped through the roof. The parents loved him. He loved his kids so much that when they moved from first grade to second grade, he went with them. Aw, you don't want to marry Josh, yeah? <laughs> He's married. Stop it, yeah? What was that? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, they don't do that in Mibasar. They don't go sisters. <laughs> it has a totally different connotation. But I appreciate that you say brothers. The... Um, So, um, it's great, it's great, it's great. So, second grade, he loved his kids so much, he moved with them to third grade. Now he had a question. He loved his kids so much, but do I move to fourth grade? Because the fourth grade councils are already, like, playing ball with the kids. And especially in certain camps where they don't do training well. You girls know the game Machanayim? Yeah. So boys don't play that. We play dodgeball. The goal of dodgeball is to knock people's heads off. Now, if you're not a great counselor and you have a big rubber ball and you have a tiny fourth grade kid running, that's target practice for some counselor. It's like, boom! He has to go to the infirmary, I think. Like, uh, yeah, forever. You know, like the... Um, so Josh has a big decision. Here he is. He's the sweetest, nicest guy in the world. Do I go to fourth grade? And he, and he told me after the summer, he goes, I'll be honest, I didn't really want to do it. Because I didn't want to be in the uh, under you. I didn't want to be with all like, the more macho guys. Not my style. Like, I didn't really feel like I would fit, but I loved the kids. Made the decision to come to fourth grade. As a division head, what do you want? Reliable counselors. I don't need a guy who's going to knock the kids' heads off. I want a guy who's going to just be there every day, take care of business. It was a pleasure to work with Josh. I know Josh since he's born. I know him since he's a little boy. Our parents are very, very, very close friends. He was a great counselor. He worked under me for a number of years until his guys finally got up to like sixth, seventh grade, and then I couldn't keep him going anymore because by that point you needed like the real manly counselors to like put these kids in place. So Josh had them for a long time, and he worked under our division for a very long time. Josh came to Eretz Yisrael. His parents have made Aliyah. My parents have made Aliyah. Our parents live in the same neighborhood. They're still very close friends. Josh went and served in the Israeli army. He was called up. Uh, my wife went to uh, went to Yesh today because I don't know if they're doing it or not doing it, but she was trying to organize for the Shana Bet that there'll be a Chalabek. Is it happening? Okay, at least it's happening. At least it's not for nothing. So we went to Yesh because we have to buy supplies, flour, and other things that go in challah. I think I saw sugar. <laughs> I just eat it. I don't know how you make it. My mother sends me a message. It's a WhatsApp from Josh's mother. He called her. He got trapped. He got trapped. You know, you don't, pick out, you don't pull out your phone when, when things are going well. You only pull out your phone if you're calling to say goodbye. His mother sent an urgent message. Please say to him for my son. Josh. I know Josh. Josh is not a number, he's not one, he's not ten, he's not twenty, he's not fifty. He's Josh, he's a great counselor, he was their first great counselor, sweetest, nicest guy in the world. I just broke down. My wife came out of Yesh with all the stuff, I was parked on the side, sitting there crying in the middle of the street. I don't know. But ten minutes later, what's up? He made it out. It was the craziest thing. <laughs> 
He made it out. He made it out. He made it out. It's not abstract. It's not abstract. In a, in a miraculous way, whatever the story is, I don't even know the full story yet. In a miraculous way, he made it out. They're crazy. The world is a chaotic place. It's not a crazy thing. That's normal. Normal. The world is normally a chaotic place. People get sick. All sorts of things happen. The question is, what happens when chaos occurs? You know what his mother did? She reached out on the WhatsApp group and everybody sent it to everybody and said, open your tailings right now. And we did. And the or was good. These are not abstract concepts. These are Mashiach concepts. My brother, my brother, the guy that I know and the guy that I don't know. The guy that I know and the guy that I don't know. Josh, but also these 480 paratroopers that I don't know any one of them. But you want to hear crazy? 480 paratroopers. We put out which battalion it is. One of the Rebbeim put out on his status. He's a Rebbe who used to work in a different yeshiva. He put out on his status, we're raising money for this battalion. And guess what? One of the members of that battalion is his Talmud. It's his Talmud. It happens to be of all the battalions in the Israeli army that Mivaseret could have adopted. We adopted the one that had his Talmud in the battalion. He's sitting there raising money. He thinks he's raising money for a guy that he doesn't know. He's raising money for his Talmud. These are people's brothers. They're their children. This is real. And you girls are getting to see it firsthand. That's a gift. That's a tremendous gift. This is not an abstract. You're here right now, and is it chaotic? Yes. Is it okay? Yes. We're okay. We're okay. As you see, the beginning was very scary. The dorms were an incubator of anxiety. And now you see already, it's okay. It's okay. But you know what you're getting to see? You're getting to see what others have done before you. This year, you're never going to forget. You might have come to seminary this year and been like, I don't know, is it my year? Is it not my year? How was it? You're never going to forget this year. You're never going to forget it because you're looking at a people right now in this land and all over the world that there's chaos. What are Jews doing? They're emptying out amazing savings. They're putting it on planes. They're getting it here. You know, you know I, my, my, my brother-in-law is an intelligence in the army. My, my daughters, they made him cakes. You know, that's what, that's what daughters do. They make cakes for the soldiers. So they made, it was very cute. My daughter made brownies, and she put like a mug and David and chocolate on the top of the brownies, and she wrote like Am Yisrael Chai on top of it. And it was very beautiful. And they sent the cakes to my brother-in-law, and, uh, and he, was very, he was very happy, and he put them out at his base, and he said people really liked it. Yesterday morning, my sister calls me up, and she says, Mordechai, Benji asked if you guys could make more cakes because there's not really so much available kosher food on this particular base, especially now. So the people who keep kosher are like eating fruits and nuts, and it's really helpful just to have like these cakes that they know came from, from religious homes that they could eat. So I said, Becca, no problem. I called Racheli. Racheli Berg is a powerhouse of energy. She is amazingly talented at doing Sitting still, not so much. But Baruch Hashem, in terms of doing, she's, she's, got it, she's got it like in spades. I called her up. I said, Racheli, Becca said that Benji wants more cakes. 
I want whatever you need to spend, spend. I want the kitchen going all day, but not just that. Get on the phone to all your friends. Get your sisters on the phone with all their friends. By the time I came home last night at 8 o'clock at night, I could show you the video. I could show you the video. I'll show you after she. I'll show you the video. We had hundreds of cakes and cookies and snacks. It was wild. We packed my entire car. My entire car was full to the top. It took us 10 trips to get all the stuff from the car down to my parents' house. My father was sitting in his house, my sister was sitting in the house, and they were crying. They were crying, When our brothers and sisters need, we give. We made so much food that they sent it to four different places. We could have had more, but we weren't taking perishable items. There were people who were calling up, can we send chicken sandwiches? <laughs> my mother doesn't have enough place in her fridge to put hundreds of chicken sandwiches for the soldiers. It's unbelievable what we do. The land is crazy, but we're making it into a land that's Mashiach. That's not an abstract thing, that's a reality, it's a lesson. God says, I can split the light from the darkness because I know that the Jews will know how to make the light from the darkness. That's our responsibility. You girls are privileged to be here. You're privileged to be here. You're witness. This is not something you see on social media. It's not something you see on somebody's WhatsApp status. You're the WhatsApp status. It's a privilege to be here right now. You're learning tremendously. If we would teach you the entire year, it would be abstract. You're seeing it with your own eyes. You can get involved. I'm not saying you have to donate to the Mevaseret fundraiser. I'm saying if you did, we'd probably hit 200,000 faster. But do something. Do something. Get involved. It's not, it, you, you can think of creative ways. Rabbi Leo D was in yeshiva today. He said, become a spokesperson for Klal Yisrael. You all have WhatsApp statuses. You all, I mean, I assume most of you have WhatsApp yeah. status. I mean, some of you don't, but most of you do. You all have some way to communicate. Go do something. Post something. Show them. Show them what it's like over here in Israel. Show them that we know how to be okay, even when things aren't okay. Show them that no matter how much our enemies engage evil and do horrific things, you can't stop Klal Yisrael from giving out candy and cakes and cookies. They give out candy and cakes and cookies for committing atrocities and war crimes. We give out cakes and cookies for defending our right to this land. This is the land of our forefathers. That's not an abstract. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Avram, Girls, up until now, you thought Israel was a tourist destination. It was an abstract reality. You come to the Kotel for your bas mitzvah, right? It's like coming to Cinderella's castle in Disney, right? You go to Kever Rachel, it's like going to the teacups. You go to Hebron, it's a small world after all. You think you're coming on a tourist destination. What'd you do? Oh, we took a teul, we went jeeping in the Golan. You go jeeping in the Golan, you're walking in the same path that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov walked. That's not abstract, that's a reality. It's a reality. But you know what? Most of us would have gone through this year, and the Shana Beck girls will tell you, it was very nice. It was very nice. It was abstract. It was very nice. What, would you want to live in Israel? I don't know. Maybe. Right? It was simpler. I liked parts of Sanhedrin Rechevet. Maybe I'll come for a Shpatzir for the first two years of my marriage and live on Haran. <laughs> have my $1,000 strollers, right? And come home after a couple of years. I miss my Mishpacha magazines back in America. Right? Whatever it is. No, 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 no. No. This is your land. You're not Americans. You're not Canadians. You're not British. You're not Russian. You're not Ukrainian. You're Jews. Those are citizenships. It doesn't matter what passport you hold. You're a Jew. This is your land. It's real. It's not abstract. 
It's not, these are not abstract concepts. The Torah is meant to change us as people. It's meant to change the world, to make the world a more godly place. The first thing the Torah teaches, God created the world, the world is chaos, go make it a place of light. That's our responsibility right now. There's a tremendous amount of darkness, that means there's a tremendous amount of raw material to make light. Mashiach is coming. The only question is, will you be a participant in making this world a place where Mashiach will feel comfortable? See the video? Oh,